Hello, and welcome to Amplify. The way to joy is not through you, and it never will. It comes from joy, the way to be free. I'm Jonathan Grimes, and you're listening to music by Andrew Hamilton. And this week's show features an interview with the composer, marking the release of his new album, Joy, on Ergodos Records. But before we get to Andrew, I'm going to hand over to Yvonne, who's going to tell us about our new Salon series, which started last week. The CMC Salon series ran successfully for nearly 10 years. And the whole idea with the Salon series was the presentation of performances of works by composers from Ireland, alongside discussions about those works with the composers and with the performers. And I suppose the CMC team are are missing our usual conversations about music with composers and with performers. Uh, Those conversations usually in discussions we host before concerts. And uh, we thought that although there are a lot of online performances, there's not so many online discussions, particularly about contemporary music from Ireland and those active in the creation and performance of it. And so we've taken our salon out of retirement for a new series of salons across the summer online on Facebook. Facebook Live and on our YouTube. And last week we featured works by Jane O'Leary, Frank Lyons and Amanda Feary performed by Paul Rowe and Marcella Bars on the bass clarinet. You can listen back to all of last week's salon if you visit the CMC homepage and click on the very nice logo for the CMC salon. It will bring you straight to the news item and the links to where you can listen back. But let's hear highlights from last week's salon. More recently, I'm really keen to explore the idea that the, the performer is in control of the electronic processing. I love the idea of playing music as an invitation, not as a kind of prescription. It's an ongoing invitation for, for, for performers and for audiences to look again, look again. Now it's almost like I feel more connected to it. So I'm I'm even more interested to continue working with Irish composers. Uh, and I'd prefer to, to play works by composers that I know rather than playing works from someone I didn't know because there's that aspect of being connected and even like a bit of community feeling. The rehearsal is more important than the performance. I tell you, to be honest, I just worship performers. I just think they are the most wonderful, you know, people in the world who can who can take this music and make it alive, give it birth. And I, I you know, I'm just in such admiration for them that I, you know, it's it definitely is is their piece as much as mine. And again, the, the, the importance of the whole area of collaboration was how do people communicate? How do they relate to each other? We're, we're seeing the consequences of this right now in America. The, the country is falling apart because that energetic connection, that trust, that belief in it, we're better in it together than apart, is gone.
Music by Jane O'Leary, her Apiacere, as performed at CMC Salon event last week. And you heard also from Jane herself, composer Frank Lyons, and performers Paul Rowe and Marcella Bars. And so, on to my conversation with Andrew. And this was originally supposed to happen in person in Birmingham in March, but alas, the lockdown put pay to this. So I was delighted uh, that it was possible to chat with Andrew over the internet late last month. In the piece which you're about to hear, Andrew talks about the works on his new album, Joy, composing for himself, his childhood and the connections between it and the album. We also discuss his approach to composition and his current musical focus and if it has changed over the years. Here it is now. I suppose it is a weird album that it's sort of in between. It's not really new music in some ways, it's just music. <laughs> we recorded a lot of the tracks, I think it was nearly six years ago now. It's coming out now at a time when I feel a bit more ready to show this side of myself. For me, it's quite personal. in 2006 that I wrote a piece for myself and Natasha Lowe and we performed it. It had already began because I was um, on a fellowship at Academy Schloss Solitude in Stuttgart and uh, as part of the fellowship um, they would give you some money to make it work and I was just looking around at other artists doing their own thing and making stuff and I thought well I should do something myself I don't know why I just decided. <laughs> Obviously, I trained as a violinist and I sang a lot as a child. So I just, it just, just being there at that time, I thought I'd do it. That was the beginning of me being brave enough to perform my own music. And then I, a few months after that, I wrote the first piece for myself. It was quite terrifying to stand in front of people and play my own stuff. Was that the piece that you did in a crash ensemble gig and it had if i if i remember correctly it had some take that samples yeah that's right um that was one of the reasons we couldn't really record that piece is copyright issues it's a collection of uh take that and westlife (laughs) it's a collection of take that westlife and also there was a one hit wonder in the ninth mid-1990s called Kavanaugh and I sampled that as well so it was yeah a lot of uh, very bad pop sampling that piece came from Academy Shaw Solitude as well. I was asked by a French philosopher called Catherine Perret and she was putting on an exhibition about fetishization. For me, I suppose, boy bands have become a bit of a fetish in my early life. (laughs) 
writing for yourself is that process the the process of composing is it a different one compared to writing for you know for other groups or you know soloists or or so forth in many ways it's not that different it's still you're still up against the same uh, challenges the positive thing is that you get to work on it in a very direct way you're not having to look outside for help or for um someone to answer your questions you just feel you're in the process in a very much a much more uh, tangible way the main thing is i don't notate as specifically as i would for other people i think that is the main difference is that i allow myself to be a bit freer that means the piece changes quite a bit over the years i've been playing it for instance uh, the piece a on the album um i had to re-record it last summer because it had got much faster since the first performance because i'd obviously got to know it better and was able to play it faster so <laughs> it's that sort of thing that it allows you the freedom to change your mind a lot more I'm the son of a Methodist minister. Before I could speak, I was in churches listening to hymns, Methodists, love hymns, rousing hymns a lot of the time. In the lockdown, the only composer I've been able to really listen to is Bach, which is weird, and um, the passions a lot. And it's always the chorales that make me cry. It's somehow it's this link back to before I could speak. I suppose hymns in a way are also a... They condense a lot of emotion or belief into a very short period, which I quite like. It's a concentration in a way, a musical concentration of faith or something, which I think probably is kept, I've kept with me. have this specific memory of finding a cassette tape of Beethoven's uh, Emperor Concerto and then putting it on myself. I think I was around six and I just sat there and I went, that's what I'm going to do. The minute I heard it, I just thought, yes, that's good. I'll do that. It is sometimes hard when I'm teaching that there's a sort of disconnect between the way a lot of them, most of them think is that they think maybe when they're doing their, in England, they, when they're doing their um, A-level, oh, I, this is quite interesting. Composition seems quite interesting. I'll, I'll give that a go. And I just don't understand because it wasn't a decision for me. It was like a weird sort of... <laughs> and it was a, a really stupid decision when you think about it because I hadn't composed anything when I made my decision, so I had absolutely no idea what I was deciding. <laughs> I just liked it. 
It is strange because neither of my parents are musicians or they're not from that sort of background which a lot of money or you need to have a lot of a lot of musicians nowadays come from elite backgrounds but mm. it sort of it was like a fluke that I ended up with parents who allowed this weird child to um, <laughs> put like paintings of Handel up on his wall yeah I think they just tolerated me <laughs> So did you read the, you know, the, from an early age, the lives of the great composers and that series? Exactly. I saved up to buy these Ladybird books. And then the title of them nowadays is, is you wouldn't be able to say it, called The Great Composers. And they were just full of, you know, white men. It was last year and I showed them to one of my really good friends and he just laughed his head off because he said he could imagine me as a seven-year-old looking at a painting or it's an image of Haydn, you know, going to, for a performance in his carriage and he thought he could see me just thinking yes I, I'm gonna have a life like that <laughs> because I was thinking about this yesterday I never thought of these composers being dead I had this weird notion of Beethoven and Haydn and Bach and they were like just friends around the corner <laughs> yeah I was a strange child started writing things down I was thinking again the past few days about how quite a bit of this album is very related to those first things I wrote down it's weird I've got in this crazy circle that um, most of them were little melodies um, I think I wrote a collection I remember I decided I'd write a collection about the sun and the moon which I thought was a great idea <laughs> so contrasting the sun and the moon, and I had that in a notebook, and um, they were just melodies and quite straightforward. So I suppose then when you get to around, when I got to my teenage years, I maybe felt a bit embarrassed that it was a bit too upbeat and positive, maybe. <laughs> and I became a teenager, and well, I wasn't upbeat or positive. So I think for me, the album is about, sounds really corny, but going back to the child, that positivity of the child, that I think um, most of us have in our beginnings. I feel so fortunate I was studying and learning before the internet because you were so much freer. Uh, How different a composer do you think you'd be had you grown up in the age of the internet? I probably wouldn't be a composer because I don't enjoy interviews or... Apart from this one, of course. Apart from this one. But um, I, I feel very fortunate I was before it all began. Because unless you're quite a, 
out there person, I I think you just disappear. What a composer is has definitely changed. Whether that could be for the good or could be for bad. Mm. I don't have the answer to be honest. <laughs> I think there's so, less room for uh, like weirdo boys in Ballantyre who decide when listening to the Emperor Concerto, that's what I'll do. Just going back to the composition process, are you continually composing, searching for ideas, discarding them or honing them? Or do you go through periods of actively composing and then not actively composing? I think since teaching the past seven years, it's changed a bit. For me, I need a lot of space in my brain to compose. So when you're teaching, it's often a lot of the space is taken up. I try to write every day I'm not teaching when you're composing like that how do you know that you've hit on something that that is going to kind of yield you this this sort of um this this material that you're going to be able to work into a piece like what you know how do you how do you know what what's a what's a runner and what what can be you know discarded um and sort of left it left to one side it's about finding something that has kinetic energy. I don't know if that makes sense, that mm. you can feel that, like a little something that is going to is pushing off in every direction, just a t- even a tiny few bars, and suddenly I can, I suppose, imagine or in my inner mind or ear, I can hear it in nearly every direction. That sounds a bit hippie but <laughs> in every dimension but I can like suddenly hear that it will last it'll have the, there's enough energy mm. buzzing energy in that tiny fragment to last which isn't a very um reliable process I would say reliable as in it's kind of hit and miss very hit and miss it can be a very sort of annoying long way to find that moment where you feel there's the so it be, in a way, the material becomes three-dimensional. It comes alive. That's the moment where you can sort of sit back a bit. It's the hard work to get to that moment, and then it's more of a joyable process, yeah. Is that the process for every piece or for most pieces? For longer pieces. I mean, they're on this album, there are some short pieces. Uh, they sort of appeared quite quickly. And often I revise, so the piece A... I, wrote, I think I wrote that three times until it became the piece it is now. So some pieces will also, also I have to revise them again and again until they start to make sense. some of the pieces off the album but i was very struck by the uh product is it product one or pro- i can't see my uh... product number one this has a weird sort of history but i was asked by the matter festival in new york to write a piece for chamber orchestra it's a very strange thing but 
I actually developed sort of a nausea about writing for instruments, like the idea of orchestration, which I now teach, but it made me feel sick. So <laughs> it was a weird, I could, you know, like having to be clever, like as a composer, like, oh, well, that's amazing writing, the way you blended those instruments. It made me, I actually felt nauseous. So the only way I could write that piece was that I wrote out four lines. It's, it's like, basically, it's a chorale that developed. And so there are just four lines that can be played by any instrument. And then the group who played that first time never played the game because it made them sound like a school orchestra. <laughs> I had a magic trick to make great musicians sound <laughs> like they were 12. I think it was for the Kaleidoscope in Dublin and I arranged it on MIDI and that's how that piece evolved. You The other piece that kind of stood out because I knew your old music teacher. Well, I didn't know him very well in Wesley College. Uh, Frank Hughes. Where did you get that recording of yourself singing? I don't know why, but my dad uh, recorded me. It was on one of those old cassette recorders. It was Benedict Chapel Colony. He helped me transfer it so I could cut it up and things so yeah. I just had the idea I would make that piece sang myself now in a different key and then I suppose to underline the breakup in the alienation of time. What is important to you now when it when it comes to your approach to composition and and has it been the same say like 15 years ago or 10 years ago like has it remained the same I think I was trying maybe to start back then to let different emotional worlds into my music because I think a lot of my work had kept everyone at an arm's length it was a bit ironic and uh, very dry these past years I've been probably consciously trying to make myself write different types of emotional music to explore that Um, and I think I'm only starting to be able to do that Maybe elaborate if you can on that. I think a lot of composers nowadays, they choose sort of one area and their work, like a lot of sort of misconceptions about, you know, slow music is profound, fast music is not profound, it's fun, or I, I want to be able to, to try and combine all of these different things. It goes back when I think about it to that listening to Beethoven for the first time is that I think for me, probably what, this is absolute conjecture because I was six. I was fascinated 
fight because I couldn't do it. And I think that's what keeps me going. A lot of music now, it's people like what they can do. That might sound a bit mad, but people sort of stop and they, they I think a lot of people like music that they think they could do without killing themselves, which is good for their health, maybe. <laughs> but for me, I, I, when I'm writing a piece, I want to go beyond what I can do. I think that relates back to finding that kinetic moment. Is it's often when I've gone so many steps beyond what I can do that it, that's what happens. I feel that's what interests me in what I can't do. For me, that's what music hopefully is about. going to ask you one other question but before i do that i'm just going to close my window i'm not going to jump out of it i'm going to close <laughs> it. goodbye and you jump out <laughs> sorry uh, yeah um given that we're you know we're we're living through this this pandemic and the uh, various kind of restrictions and challenges that it's all you know that we're all collectively having to live under what's the one thing that you're most looking forward to resuming as a as a composer or as a musician once this this whole pandemic is over and we're able to resume normal life whatever that is in the first few weeks of the lockdown another first week or so i i just couldn't face uh, any music at all and then michelle o'rourke my friend great singer she they let me know that there was a Meistersingers, Wagner's opera up on the web. And I thought, I can't face opera. I put it on. Within the first 10 seconds, I was weeping. It was a very strange experience because I think what I'm looking forward to the most is just being with other people in a concert, in a group. I think that for me is what I've realized is that it's such a communal activity. For me, that's a beautiful experience. That's what I yeah. look forward to again. Andrew Hamilton and Andrew, not the only person who's been listening to Bach a lot during the lockdown. We heard Frank Corcoran refer to Bach in an earlier Amplify during the thick of the lockdown. And Andrew, as interesting as ever on Bach, Beethoven and boy bands. And what an honest and personal and engaging collection of works on his new album, Joy, where he not only wrote the music, but performs as well with his own voice and on the violin. And that piece ending Jonathan's chat with Andrew is the work A from joy and that new album launched online earlier this week is on the ergodos label and the album can be streamed or downloaded at ergodos.ie also on spotify and purchased on itunes that's all for this episode of amplify thanks for listening and do please remember to subscribe to our podcast visit cmc.ie forward slash amplify as always we welcome your feedback on the series and episodes so do please get in touch we'd really love to hear from you amplify at cmc.ie we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode 
Until then, thanks for listening and stay safe.